Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Welcome everyone to Numa Church, whether you're watching here in Melbourne or at our uh, location in Perth or in Bangkok or all around the world. It's such an honour to have you join with us today as we continue our series on identity crisis. Before I begin to preach, I want to pray with you. But before I pray, I just want to uh, speak to everyone that belongs to Newman Church here in Melbourne. Anyone that's watching online, maybe you're not at Newman Church, but you're just watching online today and you're in Melbourne. Can I encourage you, if ever there was a time for us to pray for a supernatural shift in our city and across the state of Victoria, now is the time. And in fact, for everyone at Numa Church, I'm going to call the entire church to a day of prayer and fasting this coming Tuesday. A uh, prayer roster is going to be sent out via email from our prophetic team. And we're going to ask you to sign up for an hour of prayer on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, because we need to see a supernatural breakthrough across our city and across our state. Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness in the heavenly realm. And I believe that there is a spirit of fear that's attacking our city. There's a spirit of fear that's attacking our state. And it might even try and encroach upon you and your freedoms and you being willing to gather again in live gatherings when eventually we do gather. Can I encourage you to stand firm in prayer against the spirit of fear coming against your life and against our city. And not only that, but we need to pray for a supernatural shift across our city to ease the restrictions so that we can begin to gather again. So why don't you stand with me uh, in prayer and not only today, but on Tuesday this coming week, I'd encourage you to pray and to fast food. Uh, You may have a medical condition which excludes you from doing that, but I'm gonna encourage you to pray with us. Most of us can fast food. So I'm gonna ask you to fast a meal, fast for the day, let's pray together. History is filled with stories of people that have breakthrough nationally and individually when the people of God stand together in prayer and fasting. And so we're gonna come into agreement that God's gonna move powerfully this coming Tuesday. We're gonna pray together. Why don't we pray right now? Father, we just thank You that God, we are those who are called to be the head and not the tail, to be above and not beneath. And we come against the spirit of fear, Lord, that is uh, trying to encroach upon people's well-being, trying to restrict and limit them in all that You've called them to. And Father, I pray right now in Jesus' Name that that spirit of fear would be pushed back, that the darkness would be pushed back, that the cloud of oppression that's across our city and state would be pushed back in the Name of Jesus. I pray, O God, that You would wake us up out of our spiritual complacency, our spiritual passivity to begin to pray, 
to begin to seek Your face, to begin to believe, oh God. Lord, as You've called us, You don't call us, Lord, unbelievers. You call us believers. And Father, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the authority of the Name of Jesus. And we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we just pray right now in Jesus' Name that every weapon formed against us shall not prosper. But Father, it will be pulled down. We speak to the stronghold of fear that You will be pulled down in Jesus' Name. That Your presence is no longer welcome here. That You've overstayed Your welcome. And we come against You in the power of the Name of Jesus and in the truth of God's Word and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we call the City of Melbourne to open up in Jesus' Name. The State of Victoria to open up in Jesus' Name. And Father, for there to be a supernatural shift across our city and across our church. Let Numa Church, let the wind of the Spirit blow through Numa Church, O God. Lord, from every, Lord, life group to every household, every business, Lord, every location. Let the wind of the Spirit, let the Numa of heaven, Lord, prophesy to the winds of the earth to come and blow this spiritual darkness out of this city, this spiritual darkness out of this state. We take authority over every demonic agenda to try and limit and restrict this city. And we pray in the Name of Jesus, Oh God, that Your purpose will prevail. Your intentions will be established. Your Kingdom will come. Your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Father, right now where there's fear, let faith arise. Lord, where there is restlessness, let peace that passes all understanding guard our hearts and minds. And Father, I pray where we are silent, where we are passive, Lord, I pray right now that Holy Spirit, the Name of Jesus would be glorified. Lord, the power of Your Word would be heard far and wide today. And Lord, the anointing of Your Spirit would break every yoke of bondage over people's lives. God, I thank You right now. Signs and wonders are breaking out, Lord, right across our city, breaking out in every, Lord, lounge room and wherever people are right now, the power of Your Spirit is manifesting. And so, Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace and Your love, O God, at work in our lives and in our city of Melbourne and right across the earth. We commit this to you in Jesus' Name. Amen. Well, I'm fired up and I know that God wants to speak to you today. So why don't you keep looking at the screens as we see our introduction to identity crisis. We are living in a culture that is suffering from an identity crisis. Everyone is asked the question, who am I? And what am I here for? Unfortunately, we look for the answer in all the wrong places. And in doing so, we anesthetize ourselves to the truth of who God has created us to be. One of the greatest battles is to believe what God says about us. In order to walk in the freedom that God has for us, we must believe that our identity is in Christ alone. Okay, well, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to read through from verses 1 to 5. And uh, I love this passage of Scripture. Uh, it's a passage that's dear to my heart. I've preached on it before, but I believe that God's given me some new insights into this today to really help you. So why don't you turn uh, in your Bibles with me to 1 John 5, verses 1 to 5. Let's read together, 
uh, John the Apostle is writing and he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, today I want to speak to you on the subject, overcome or overcomer. You see, you need to understand that God has not designed you, created you to live overcome. But He has in fact called you, He's done a work of the Spirit inside of you to be an overcomer. Now, Marina Chapman uh, was five years old when she was kidnapped and abandoned in the jungle in Colombia. And for two days, she walked around searching for someone to help her. And exhausted after several days, she fell asleep for several hours and she woke up surrounded by capuchin monkeys. This is a true story uh, that is a fascinating story of her life. And one of the bigger monkeys in that moment actually approached Marina and started playing with her hair, making all sorts of bizarre, wild noises. And so she started to yell back at the monkey and they tended to lose interest over a period of time. But because no one else is around, Marina actually started to follow these monkeys around and do what they do. She started to walk on all fours like they would walk. She started to eat what they would eat. She started to communicate with them as they would communicate with each other. Five years passed. That's right, five years passed of her living in the jungle with these monkeys. And one day she was sitting in the tree and she saw a shiny object on the jungle floor. She went down and it was a mirror. And when she looked into the mirror, she saw this ghastly creature staring back at her. And she's like, what on earth is this? Who on earth is this? And she realized that she was looking back at her face. And in that moment, there was this realization, this revelation that she wasn't an animal. She wasn't a monkey, but in fact, a human being. And she shouldn't be living like a monkey. And all of these memories flooded back to her of her early uh, years of childhood, where she was reminded of who she really was. And she began to search for help and decided that on that day, she needed to leave the jungle and actually get help. Well, some hunters found her, and uh, several months later, she was in fact deported to England, and she was raised in England, eventually got married and had children, and the life of Marina Chapman is a very true and real story of what took place in her life all those years ago. Too many believers, when it comes to their identity, I think are living like monkeys instead of who God created them to be. And one of the reasons why that is, is because we don't really understand what being born again and born of God means in our lives. 
And this is why the Apostle John is writing to the churches surrounding Ephesus to counter the attack of Gnosticism that is coming against the churches in that region. Gnosticism is the belief that salvation is found in some deep esoteric knowledge or philosophy inside ourselves rather than in the truth of the gospel of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. And so what was happening in these churches around Ephesus is that believers were actually leaving the church and there was a division in the church because they were buying into this lie and deception of Gnosticism rather than putting their faith in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle John writes to deepen their understanding of what it means to be a child of God. And in verse 1 of this passage, John says, everyone, not just some people, not just people who've gone to Bible college, although if you go to Numa College, that'll really help you. Every single one of us who believe that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, before you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Saviour of your life and Lord of your life, you need to understand something about what your spirit was like and what your nature was like. The Bible tells us that before Christ, our spirit is dead in sin. It is absolutely flatlined. It has no ability to bring itself back to life. Its nature is shrouded in darkness. Its default pattern is according to the spirit of the world. It has no ability to actually be able to discern the things of the spirit because the spirit is dead in sin. But when you confess and when you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Bible says your spirit comes alive in Christ. That which was flatlined, that which was dead, all of a sudden comes back to life. And you are now born of incorruptible seed. I don't know about you, but that sounds like good news to me. That's why the gospel is good news. My spirit, when I came to Christ, was literally rebooted in Jesus' name. It was restarted, not according to the old nature, but according to the new creation mandate that is mine because of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible gives us a list of all that is ours when we are born of the Spirit of God. I'm just going to begin to read to you the list of all that the Bible tells us in the New Testament of what it means to be born again. And I'm praying that this would be like an avalanche of blessing to your soul that would begin to renew your mind against the lies of the enemy that have been coming against you in your life in this season. The Bible tells us that because we are born again, we are God's children. Not only that, but I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord and I am one spirit with Him. I've been bought with a price. I belong to God. That now I'm a member of Christ's body. I am a saint. I've been adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I've been redeemed and forgiven of all of my sins. I am now complete 
seat in Christ. I am free forever from condemnation and shame. I am assured that all things work together for my good. I am free from any condemning charges against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I've been established, I've been anointed, and I've been sealed by God. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident that the good work that God has begun in me will be perfected. I am now a citizen of heaven. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind in Jesus' name. I can find grace and mercy in a time of need. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the earth. I am a branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. I've been chosen and appointed by Jesus himself to bear much fruit. I am a personal witness of Christ. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am God's co-worker. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. You and I are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We can approach God with freedom and confidence and boldness and I can and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I know about you today, but your spirit should be doing gymnastics right now because there's a whole lot of truth that the Word of God has that the moment you become born again, all of those things are yours by faith in your spirit, in your identity, in your inheritance, and in your eternity. The moment you confess that Jesus is Lord and the moment that you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. You've got to know who you are in Christ if you're going to begin to live in in victory over an identity crisis in your life. John the Apostle continues and he says, everyone who has been born of the Spirit loves God. And he not only talks about the love of God, but he says, our love for God is best demonstrated by obedience, not feelings. This is a really important distinction that we need to understand. The Bible says in verse 3, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Now, the world's idea of love is very feelings-based. If there was a theme song sort of to be played on the radio about the world's idea of love, it would sort of be like, if you feel like it, then do it. If you don't feel like it, then don't do it. And so many relationships in life, let alone marriages, have been broken because people have made decisions based upon their feelings rather than based upon the commitment of covenant. All right? And so when you come into an understanding that love is not based upon your feelings, but upon the truth of what God's Word says about it and upon covenant, when you wake up one day and you don't necessarily feel in love with your spouse or you don't feel very loving towards somebody and yet the Bible calls us to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us, it's no longer about what I feel as it is about my covenant that I have towards my spouse and the covenant that we have in our relationship with God. Love is not contractual based upon your feelings. Feelings are a great servant. Feelings and emotions are given by God, but they are a terrible master. 
They are conditional upon perfect circumstances. And so when the bank account is full and promotions are coming your way at work and you've got the approval of everybody around you, you feel like you want to sing the theme song of the Lego movie, Everything is Awesome, and you think that everything's fantastic. And so you, you because you feel great, you want to be a, a blessing to everyone and because everything's going your way. It's easy to feel good and, and you know, roses and champagne when everything's going your way. But what about when it doesn't go your way? What about when the bank account is becoming empty and the promotions aren't coming and you get overlooked for things that you think you deserve? What happens when people start to not speak well of you? What happens then? If you don't understand that your feelings are supposed to be a servant and not your master, you'll be on this roller coaster journey of not understanding where your identity is founded upon. Faith obeys God even when you don't feel like your circumstances add up. Faith makes a decision, I'm gonna serve Jesus He is the Lord of my life and I'm going to obey Him regardless of how I feel because I know that this is true. And many of us in life are waiting for God to give us a new word because maybe we feel bored with the old word that God gave us, but you need to understand something. If you haven't obeyed the last word that God gave you, it doesn't matter how bored you may feel with the last word, God's not gonna give you a new word in your life before you obey the last word that He's given to you, because nothing says, I love you, God, like obedience. This is what John is trying to teach the churches around Ephesus, and it's what I believe God is trying to teach us today, the problem is obedience isn't popular in modern Christianity. And the reason it isn't popular because too many of us see obedience as oppression and not freedom. We think it's slavery rather than actually what it means to be free in Christ. I love what King David said in Psalm chapter 40 verse 8. He said, I delight to do your will, O my God. Is there a delight? Has God become the delight of your life? Has the Word of God and your obedience to it become the delight of your life? Or has it become this oppressive chore that you feel like you have to do? Because a law mindset says, I have to obey. I have to give. I have to pray. I have to love. But a revelation of grace says, I get to obey. I get to give. I get to worship. I, I get to be a part of, of, of the, the body of Christ. I get to serve. I get to love. I get to minister to people. Come on, we got to get out of this law mindset. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our heart to, to see that there is freedom in obedience? When you know that Jesus has your best interests at heart, Obedience becomes freedom. I remember, you know, in my adolescent years, running away from obeying God's call on my life because I thought that obeying God's call to ministry and preach and all the things I'm doing today was this oppressive sort of heavy weight and burden. 
that was going to be upon my life and I was going to be bored and, and, and little did I know, it's been the craziest adventure and it's just warming up. And so, you know, I had this wrong mindset, this wrong approach and it became this thing of, oh, I, I don't want to do that because I have to. And, and, and rather than I get to obey what God has called me to. And I had this revelation of Matthew 11, 28 to 30, where Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy, says the Lord, and my burden is light. If you don't believe that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, don't be surprised if your spirit doesn't want to come to Jesus, doesn't want to spend time with him doesn't want to obey the things that he's asking to do. And one of the, the, the enemy's strategies is to get us to falsely believe that following Jesus and being obedient to what God is asking us to do is actually to restrict our freedoms rather than actually empowering our freedoms to live the life that God has called us to. Our culture comes up with this romantic idea that a life that's truly lived is a life without boundaries. Just no boundaries, just no sort of fence lines. And yet beyond the Bible, even uh, research into psychology says that for you to be a functional, healthy person in your well-being, you need boundaries in your life. You can't just live an unrestrained life without some boundaries. Think about a lookout. If you've ever been to a cliff face or a mountain or a great view overlooking the horizon and seeing hill after hill, mountain after mountain, rivers and lakes, and I've, I've been on several lookouts. Well, guess what they have at the boundary line of that lookout? They have a fence line because they don't want you to be hurt and they don't want to pay out the insurance money if you do hurt yourself. And so they put boundary fences in they put fence lines in to protect you from hurting yourself. Those boundaries provide safety. When God asked Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he was not trying to be a killjoy to stop them from enjoying their life. He was trying to preserve their freedom. He was trying to actually protect them from slavery to sin because he knew that if they rebelled and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not only them, but every generation after them. Thank you very very much Adam and Eve would actually live with the seed of sin perpetuated and brokenness would come throughout the generations and we would lose our dominion and authority and all the chaos that we're seeing across the earth is a result because the enemy deceived God's children into thinking that God was keeping something from them when in fact God was protecting them with boundaries to actually help them live the life that God has called them to live. I love what David said in Psalm 16:6. He says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Do you look at obedience and the boundary lines of the Word of God? 
as being pleasant, as actually bringing you into the favour of God rather than bringing you under bondage and slavery. Even a modern commentator in Brene Brown says nothing is sustainable without boundaries. And there are many people, maybe even today, you're watching this message and listening to the truth of God's Word being preached and you reject Christ. Or maybe you're rejecting the church because you think if you come to Jesus or if you attend a church, your freedoms will be restricted. But I'm telling you, you've missed the whole essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Galatians 5.1, it says, it's for freedom Christ has set us free. Obedience doesn't mean that you're a mindless robot and that you're just chained up to a mean judge with a big stick. And if you head a wrong move or head down a wrong way, that he's going to hit you with that stick. That's not what obedience is. That's abusive behavior. And God is not an abusive father. Obedience says, I love Jesus, not only as my savior, but I trust him as my Lord. And because he created me and because he's given his very best, his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me, then he knows what's best for me. And I'm going to live in obedience, not in slavery, but in freedom. All of that is encapsulated in John's message that obedience is best or love is best evidenced by our obedience. You see, if before Christ we were born sinners, born in the natural, born in the flesh, born in sin, which means to miss the mark, to fall short of God's original intention for us, every single one of us have been born into sin, then when we come to Christ, in Christ, we are born again overcomers. You may have been born into sin, born overcome. Overcome by the the brokenness of the issues maybe in your family of origin. Overcome by your own insecurities, the challenges that you faced in your life, the relational difficulties, the brokenness of missed opportunities and unrealized expectations. But I'm telling you in Christ, you're born again an overcomer. So laser off the born to lose tattoo off your shoulder because you're not born to lose. You're not born to overcome, uh, to be overcome. You're born to be an overcomer in Jesus' name. Paul said we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And John says in verse 4, everyone, not just pastors and leaders and people who the world looks at and says, well, you must be really holy. Little do you know. No, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. You know, an infant eagle doesn't know it can fly until it's pushed out of the nest. And then all of a sudden, when mama eagle comes and pushes baby eagle out of the nest, guess what? It discovers as it's plummeting to the earth, hey, I better do something about this. And DNA kicks in and instinct kicks in and it begins to spread its wings and overcome the resistance that's coming against it. You'll never discover you're an overcomer until you have something to overcome. Many of us want the testimonies, but we don't want the tests that are required to have a testimony. 
We want to be known as overcomers, but we don't want the inconvenience of resistance coming against us in order to rise up and overcome. I love the story of Glenn Cunningham in 1925. He was confined to a wheelchair and he was told by doctors that he would never walk again, let alone run. But Glenn Cunningham had a vision, not just to walk, but to run. And nine years later, through a lot of hard work, Glenn set the world record for the mile at that time. And in Madison Square Garden was declared the athlete of the decade. Such was the feat of his life and what he went through in his life. As I read the great heroes of faith, you discover every single one of them in Hebrews 11 and all throughout the Old Testament had to overcome something. Noah had to overcome the wickedness of his generation. Sarah had to overcome that curse of barrenness in her body. Moses had to overcome his self-doubt with the call of God upon his life. Paul had to overcome his salvation by his own efforts and self-righteousness. Peter had to overcome his fear of man in order to follow Jesus even to his very death. You see, the kingdom of God moves counterintuitive to the kingdom of this world. And so you've got to expect resistance. If you're surprised by resistance that comes your way in your life, then maybe we actually need to understand that we're in a spiritual battle, that there is a spiritual war that's raging about us and the enemy's not gonna stand by and give you a golf clap when you get down on your knees to pray. He's not gonna be really excited about you having devotions with your family and discipling your children. He's not gonna be super excited about you being honest and ethical and integrous in your finances and in your business. He's going to do all that he can to deceive you, to distract you. In other words, he is going to attack you with resistance. But I'm here to tell somebody today, the devil is a liar, that Satan is under our feet, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper in the mighty name of Jesus. Your vision and revelation of who God is must become greater than your idea and preoccupation with who Satan is, and you've got to understand in the spirit of the world that we live in, sometimes you're going to feel like you're swimming upstream, that you're actually swimming against the current. But even Nemo, in finding Nemo, discovered sometimes you've got to swim against the current if you want to break free of the limitations and resistance that will cap you and imprison you. You've got to swim against the current in Jesus' name. You see, in John 16, Jesus prophesied. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So that tells me that if I'm in Christ, and if Jesus is an overcomer, then I too am an overcomer if I'm found in Him. I love what Revelation 12, 11 says. It says, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, speaking of last day's believers. Now, if every believer is born again an overcomer, why do we sometimes live overcome? 
And as I began to study the Word of God and pray and reflect on this, I really believe it's because we don't really believe that Jesus has done everything necessary on the cross for us. The Bible says in verse 4, this is the victory. What's the victory? I'm about to tell you what the victory is. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus as the Son of God who has done everything necessary on the cross for us. You see, I've discovered it's one thing to believe intellectually that Jesus is the Son of God. But it's another thing to believe practically to the point of change in your everyday lifestyle. If all you do is believe that Jesus is the Son of God intellectually, but you don't believe it in your heart of hearts, it will not bring about any transformation or change in your life. The Bible says even demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They recognize His authority. That's why when Jesus went to cast them out, they said, don't send us to the abyss, send us into those dirty pigs over there and and we don't want to leave this region right? Because demons believe, they recognize the authority. So just because you believe or someone believes in the idea of God or the existence of God, zippity doo da, it's not going to change anything in their life if you don't believe it in your heart and you don't believe it to the point of life change and transformation in your life. So what John does is he writes not to give us a list of do's and don'ts, but to tell us that in Christ everything is done. Everything that the gospel is about is what has been done through Jesus Christ on the cross. If you explore or study every other man-made religion, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, it's all about what you have to do to try and attain some state of enlightenment or to try and be reincarnated as a better creature or a better person or to try and secure your place in heaven with all of your selfish desires being realised. It's all about what you have to do But only the gospel of Jesus Christ highlights what Jesus has already done in our lives. And that's why the power of the communion today is so amazing. As Pastor Stacy reminded us in John 19.30, it is finished. Greek tetelestai, I love it. It means paid in full. Debt is cancelled. No further sacrifice is needed in our lives. And when you believe that Jesus has done everything necessary in your life for you to be reconciled back to the Father, you live from victory, not for victory. A lot of us are trying to live for victory. We're always trying to do something to secure it in our lives rather than living out of a revelation of faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has already done. And he's already done the heavy lifting on your behalf. So if that is true, then I'm already in a position of victory in my life. That's why identity in Christ isn't something you achieve in your strength. It's something you receive by faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. That is why 
when all is said and done, you need to listen to this if you haven't heard anything else. The key to victory in life is living by faith in your identity in Christ. That's so good, you need to hear it again. The key to victory in life is living by faith in your identity in Christ. Just turn to the person next to you, even if it's your pet dog, and just say, hey, little buddy, the key to victory in life is living by faith in your identity in Christ. Turn to your other neighbour who ignored you before and was rude to you and talk to somebody else and say the key to victory in life is living by faith in your identity in Christ. Now, if you are by yourself in the room or walking down the road and you're talking walking to the air, just be content to be in the crazy bin right now and just declare to the atmosphere around you, the key to victory in life is living by faith in your identity in Christ. Do you know four times in the Bible, the Bible says the righteous or the just live by faith. When you understand that's what true of Christ is now true of me, everything changes. Everything shifts in our life. You see, because Jesus has forgiven my sin, I am now reconciled back to the Father. And because Jesus has defeated Satan, I am no longer in bondage to darkness. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, I now have access to eternal life. And because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, I am now seated with him in heavenly places. What about you today? Are you a little bit like Marina Chapman, living like an animal, living like a monkey maybe, rather than who God's actually created you to be? Because when we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, when we don't allow the mirror of God's Word to show us who we really are in God, we start to live like something other than what God designed us for. And today... This message and this entire series is about the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and applying the work of the cross upon our identities and upon our hearts and bringing us into reconciliation, not only in our relationship with God, but a restoration of our identity in Christ. When you understand that the key to victory is living by faith in your identity in Christ, everything changes in that moment. I want to pray for you right now that I know many of you have been watching this series and a part of this have been wrestling with your own identity, particularly in this season where everything is changing around us and there's so much uncertainty. If we've placed our identity in the things of this world and those things are no longer there, all of a sudden we begin to question, what is life all about? Who am I? What's the purpose of this? Well, right now, I'm telling you, God's Holy Spirit wants to come and minister to you. So let's pray together. Father, I pray right now for people that are wrestling, struggling, oh God, in their identity. I thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. I thank you for the power of your spirit, oh God. And I thank you that you love us so much, God, that you gave us our one one and only son, your one and only son, so that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm praying right now, oh God, that you begin to, a work of restoration, a work of healing in people's lives. Thank you for joining us for this message today. 
We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.